Hello, welcome to the Creatives with AI podcast. I'm David Brown, founder of the solutions design agency Futurehand, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industry, particularly over the next several years. On today's episode, we chat with AI artist Zach Katz, where we touch on democratizing urban planning, using AI to create a compelling vision of the future, and living life in Amsterdam. Zach is the mastermind behind the Twitter account at Better Streets AI, where he uses generative AI imaging tools to transform cities into more pedestrian and cyclist-friendly spaces. With a passion for advocating for safe streets, Zach has led several successful campaigns in Portland, Oregon, revolutionizing the urban landscape. Currently living in Brooklyn, New York, Zach remains committed to merging technology and urban planning to build sustainable, accessible, and lively communities. If you want to find out more about the Creatives with AI podcast, you can always go to our website, www.creativeswith.ai, where you can find a variety of resources, including all our episodes, more information about our guests, and full show transcripts. While you're there, you can also sign up for updates, and you can contact us with questions or ideas for future guests and topics. Oh, and before we get started, I'd like to mention that if you like our content and you want to do something to help support us, please consider giving us a five-star rating and writing a positive review. Positive ratings and reviews help us gain exposure to more listeners, and the more listeners we have, the more access to better and more amazing guests we can get. We're also looking for sponsors to help us fund future episodes and to reach a wider audience. So again, if that's something that you can help us with, please reach out via the website. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Zach. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the podcast. I know you have a burning question to get started with, so maybe you can kick us off. How do you guys know each other? What's the story behind the podcast? <sighs> We've How long have we known each other? Five years? Five years? Five years? Yeah, Six years, in various like sizes. That. Yeah. So I work in local yeah. government and I uh, I do a lot of health and, health and social care projects with the use of technology, which is kind of brave in local government because everything moves really slowly. Our health system is different from the States. It, it's not very innovation driven because it's a national model. So I pilot new approaches using data and technology to improve social care and health for people in the area I live in. And so I work with a lot of startups and, uh, and, and you know, I've got a really good, good network in, in Oxford. And uh, I've done several projects with David, um, you know, in, in various guises and different companies that he's been working in. And now, he, now we work together in the same team. So kind of came full circle. And, we're, you know, and AI obviously is a big factor in, in just about everything that we're doing in innovation right now across local government, across national government. And so we're we're fascinated, and we wanted to get together and talk to people about it when it's in its infancy, because uh, mm. it feels like we're in the wild west at the moment. I don't know what what you think, but yeah, like talking to people who own cars in the 1920s. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, you know, Didi comes from sort of the the more the she's been in public sector a lot more than a lot longer than I have, and she comes from the the kind of health side. I come more from the data side. So I moved to the UK in 99 and very shortly after started working for data analytics companies, looking at things like marketing data, web analytics data, that sort of stuff. So looking a lot at the digital marketing and web side of things. And then all the sort of 
you know, sort of associated data that goes with that demographics and all the other stuff and trying to figure out how to make websites better and advertising better and all that. But in the last, I'd say seven years, I guess, I've worked a lot more on the smart city side. So I started working for a big data company that focused a lot. They had a really specialist tool that could deal with like petabyte size databases. And it was really, really fast, which was excellent for things like transport data around like train networks and stuff. And so I I picked up a lot of public sector customers. And so that kind of turned into my niche, which is how I met um, Didi and the team that I work with now as well. So what was interesting in particular for me about the stuff that you're doing, because obviously I saw you on Twitter and some of the, you know, some of the AI stuff that you post on your Twitter feed. And that was really what what made me want to reach out because it kind of touches on a couple of different things in my background. I mean, obviously it's the use of AI and trying to help, you know, people reimagine cities, I guess. And I'm going to let you sort of express it in your own words in a minute. But but it was that and then the transport side, which I found quite interesting. So maybe for for the people listening, if you just give sort of a couple of minutes on what your background is and kind of, you know, what your tool does, and then we can maybe kind of go from there and, and work in the AI aspect. Well, I, I started a Twitter account last summer where I used generative AI to visualize more walkable, bikeable cities and show before and after images of uh, what these streets could look like if they were transformed to be more people-oriented, people-friendly. Um, and and how did you how did you get that idea? Where did where did the idea come from? Well, I've I've kind of been like you know I was like radicalized into the urbanism world or whatever a couple of years ago. Like I um you know growing growing up in the suburbs and then going to uh, school in the city and then I moved to Portland, Oregon, and got really into like just biking everywhere and um uh later i did some i led some advocacy campaigns for like protected bike lanes and car-free streets in portland and then after that i moved to amsterdam where i lived for a year just to like experience what a sort of like you know ideal urban uh what ideal urban design is is like and just to kind of it was just yeah just for fun really um yeah but what what part of amsterdam were you in in, I was in West, right, by like Rembrandt Park. Do you know? Yeah, Amsterdam pretty well. I know it a little bit. I worked for a Dutch company for three and a half years, so I used to travel to Amsterdam once a month. But they were more out by the Ajax Stadium, sort of the new stadium. So I stayed most of my time. I mean, the first few times I went, just because it was fun and different, you know, I I tried to stay in town, and then after that, it just became. You know, it was sort of normal, and I just wanted to be away from the tourists. So yeah, I didn't spend any time. I ended in the up city. staying further out. I didn't spend any time in the city center. Like it's like Midtown in New York. It's like there's no reason to go there really if you yeah. live there. Like, but all the that it's actually a shame that when people visit, they tend to stay within the canal ring because some of the most pleasant parts of the city are right outside in like West and Oost and De Pipe and stuff. Yep. And how'd you end up? How'd you end up in New York? I had moved to New York like off and on uh, every couple, like just I was living in Boston and then I moved to Portland and then New York and then back to Portland and then Amsterdam and then back to like I just I was sort of all over. But I when I left Amsterdam, I I really missed New York. So it was like it kind of feels like home to me. Yeah. Um, it never leaves you. Like I said, I used to live there. It's been like 35 years and I still like, you know, I still 
feel like part of my soul. In part of my soul, I'm a New Yorker, you know, and always will be. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So when you started using it then, what which, which particular platform do you use? Obviously, we, we, we're not sponsored by anyone and we don't support any particular platform doing any particular thing. I'm just curious which tool you use to, to create the images. Yeah, mostly Dolly, too. Right. Been recently experimenting with Midjourney a little bit, but they don't offer any in-painting right now. So it's it's impossible to do like before and after. So yeah, mostly Dolly. Right. And what's what's your experience been like kind of because you've been using it for several months and obviously, you know, I, I think the I think the release of Chat GPT and it sort of coming out in the last few months has sort of captured people's imagination. But obviously, there were tools out that were, you know, that have been out longer than that. And there have been some specialist tools, you know, in particular that have been out longer than that. And what, what's, what are your sort of thoughts on from someone who's been using it a little bit longer, maybe than other people have? And, and where do you think that it's going? Particularly Delhi, I guess, since you've been using that one the most, what, what are your thoughts on that and the sort of the generative AI and, and the, around the imagery and stuff? I'm, I'm curious to know from someone who's been sort of using it hands on. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's going to democratize urban planning in the same way that Instagram democratized photography. Like, there's nothing really that special about what urban planners do, no offense. It's like, you just sort of like, come up with an idea for how the the street or the city or, or the area could be better. And then you, or or you or you solicit, you know, public feedback. But everyone has ideas for Everyone has, I should say, rather like desires for how, like, fundamental, like, base, f basic things. Like, I want to be able to like safely bike to the grocery store. Like, and it doesn't take a, you know, you don't need, like, AI like empowers like people to, yeah, to see what that would look like and to, and to therefore um, more easily support it or like express their support for it. And like, that's kind of been, the major barrier to like making stuff happen i th as far as i can tell in, in in the urban planning world like so yeah so by by letting anyone do that you don't need to have the power to visualize stuff like centralized within the city planning department or whatever and what's the, and wh i'm curious what's the appetite like in the united states around active travel so around uh, biking walking public transport um cuz it, it it's it's a it's a hot topic in the uk you know it's like some people love it or hate it it's it's like marmite you know so i'm curious like in a, in a city like new york like how can a city like new york function without cars cuz that's that's kind of the future isn't it well, it already kind of does function without cars. I mean, in in a sense, like because most neighborhoods, the majority of people don't own a car or use a car on a regular basis. Like even outer neighborhoods where like twenty percent of people own a car, the people who actually use that car on a regular basis for everyday trips is like five percent. Yeah. So it's really like New York does not need cars to function. Um, I count but, taxis though. I count the yellow cabs as oh. cars because, like, obviously, like I lived in New York. Who who drives in New York? Nobody. But like. Getting rid of taxis. As it so when I think of like carless, I think of active travel. So people walking, biking or or using public transport. Sure. I mean, I think taxis always will have a good place to like a, a good reason to exist. But the amount of space they need is just one lane for any given like 
Yeah, it's so it's not like you could get rid of all the single occupancy cars and trucks and stuff and taxis would be much more efficient in getting around. Um so I I get that I used to live in Chicago as well and Chicago's the same. I think you're there are a few northern metropolitan cities in the US where that's probably the case. You go somewhere like Dallas though. I mean Dallas is a massive city but there's not really great I think I think they have sort of an overground trolley or tram system but it's it's not like a full transport system so you still have to drive but it's those sort of older I think older cities Boston New York Chicago Seattle to a certain extent I think from what I remember I, I don't mean, know what Seattle, public transport's like in Portland but in Portland has pretty nice public transport for what for what it is being a, a fairly small city it's got a streetcar a really nice bus system some lines are right. 24 hours like a light rail but I, honestly, I think that uh, you know public transit will probably continue to be like be like incrementally improved in the U.S. for the most part, with the exception of some cities like L.A. that are like building fa- a little bit faster than than the average U.S. city. But yeah, I think I think by and large, like e-bikes will be the revolutionary thing for uh, U.S. cities. Like, there's no city in this in the country where you couldn't get across basically the entire city in like I don't know. 20 minutes to an hour uh, on an e-bike. So it's just, yeah. you know, and then- See, like, I haven't been to New York in so long. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't know what it's like now. I think the last time I was there was about 25 years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. That would be, so, it would be a trip to, to revisit. Yeah, be a real trip. I bet it. I bet it would. I'm curious to, so going back to the city planning idea, I think one of the things that I think is going to be potentially- trying to think of the right word. Um, I think it's going to be really good for people because I think what we're going to find is is that as AI, as AI becomes a little bit more sophisticated, I think that there will w- there will be tools that, that will come out that will enable citizens to actually look and they can say, okay, well, we might want a low traffic neighborhood or we might want to change our street to a 20 mile an hour speed limit or, you know, we don't like all the traffic going through, so we want to try and do that, or we want to try and, you know, we maybe if we add an extra lane to this road, you know, because we think the traffic is too bad. Like normal citizens will have the ability to sort of put that stuff into a tool that will actually go and do the modeling of what the the impact of that is. And at the minute, those modeling tools are hugely expensive. They're locked behind, you know, very expensive paywalls, and you need to have you know, you need to have a degree in statistics basically to be able to use them. So even if you say, well, you know, this road is really congested every day. We think that if you added another lane, you know, or two lanes to the road, that that would really help the traffic. But we all know that that doesn't work in the long term, right? If you just make the road bigger, that just means more cars go on it. And so you end up in the same situation with twice as many cars. Yeah. The whole, mo- the whole field of modeling is bullshit. <laughs> um. Hmm. Interesting. Like it's I'm not it, sure. I'd elaborate, that far, elaborate, but, Zach. Well, elaborate. yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, like what do you mean? Yeah, you're. It's you can't. You can only. I don't know. You can only like predict human behavior to a certain extent, and like it's it's not. It's, I don't know. Maybe bullshit is a strong uh, term, but it's it's more like you want to you want to design the street to influence people to behave the way you want them to, rather than based on any sort of what the model is telling you. Um, 
So if you want to, you know, get, encourage people to, to bike and to drive less, it doesn't matter what, like the model doesn't matter. Like you, you build the best practice infrastructure that is proven to get people biking and get them out of their cars. And, and then that achieves the, whatever the model was, you were hoping the model would tell you. I agree to a certain extent. I think you do though need to use the models to understand what the knock-on effect of, of making that change is. And a good example is here in the UK, a lot of cities have have put in these low traffic neighborhoods. And essentially what happened, as far as I can tell, and 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 I'm sure someone will call me out on this and that's totally fine, is that kind of with the invention of ways, like people used to drive and they kind of, you know, they went on the main roads and they went everywhere and we had congestion, but everybody kind of stuck to the roads that the main roads where they were supposed to. And then ways came out. And Waze started saying, oh, well, instead of waiting in that traffic, you can just shoot down this neighborhood street. And those streets were never designed for the volume of cars that are now going down those roads. They they weren't designed for safety. They weren't designed like they don't have the infrastructure to deal with that much traffic. So what's happened is, is that now those roads have become blocked up. So someone who lives on that street now can't get in and out of their driveway. They can't actually get their kids to school. And, you know, their kids used to be able to walk safely, but now they can't because there's there's delivery vans going up and down that all the time, all hours of the day. And so what the the, the pushback against those sort of tools, so this is a pushback against the tech a little bit to say, okay, well, it's really well and good that you're trying to make this easier for drivers, but people actually live here. And so the people living there have said, well, we don't want this. So they've started putting up sort of bollards and and, you know, sort of planters and things at the end of the road. So actually mm. that road's now blocked off. So traffic can't go down that way, but the people who live there can still get in and out and they can cycle and whatever. Interesting. And those and, people probably would have been against diversion if they hadn't seen the negative uh, consequences of more through traffic in the first place. Well, what's interesting is that a lot of them are still against it. Even though not they're the implementing people, not it themselves? the people that live on the streets, though the people that live on the streets in the low traffic neighborhoods love it. And why wouldn't they? You know, but it's 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 the yeah. rest of the residents that oh, the people they, who want a rat run. Well, it's not just yeah. the people that want a rat run. I'll tell you what's interesting is I'm neither for nor against. Like, I mean, I use public transport to get into work, so it's like you know, I, I've never driven my car into work, and I have a car, and I you know, I use it for stuff that I can't you get on public transport for, but I definitely wouldn't drive to work because it's way too expensive to park down there. I have really good bus access. So what I've noted is an unintended consequence is like, because humans, like, you know, you can't predict what humans are going to do. You just can't, you know, it's, it's what you were saying at the beginning, Zach, where people are uh, kind of sitting on the bus, you know, you end up kind of, you can end up, what used to, what used to be a 30 minute journey can now sometimes be an hour and a half. On public transport, um, because the, it's just it's just gridlock traffic, right? And it's like no people, bus lane. Uh, it, yeah, there is no bus lane, and it's like um, so. But what's happened is plenty of people, and I, you know, this is it's anecdotal, but it's people that I talk to think, you know, what if I'm going to sit on the bus for an hour and a half? I'd rather sit in my car, and they and so you've got a, 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 a you know. I don't know what the percentage is, but you've got a lot of people that are hopping in their car that wouldn't have used their car before. Exactly. It's all it's all just decisions Mad. based on what makes mo the most sense yeah. for for the person and 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 that's that's the problem is that the city is not incentivizing people to bike or to to 
uh, ride the bus. Like if the bus was in its own lane and it was faster than driving, then people would take the bus. Yeah, definitely. And if it was safe for safe to bike, they would bike. We we have a situation like that in where I live, and there is a bus lane, but the problem is it it act it's almost actually worse because the bus has to eventually merge into traffic. So where the buses have to merge, that actually creates more of a backup. Yeah, well, that, than if I they would, didn't have to. Right. I mean, that's and, that's a bad design bus lane. Like the the only way it works is if the entire trip is uh, not stuck in traffic. Like yeah. you can't have that sort of bottleneck. Yeah. But I think in some of the I think in newer cities, you can do that. In older cities, I mean, you know, here we're working with cities that are older than the U.S. by several hundred years. Um, and you don't have the ability to just tear down houses because they're in the way. It, no, it's no, it's not like it is in America. America, they'll you just will. tear down the houses. They don't care. Sure. Because but... none of the houses are that old anyway, and nobody really cares. But here, you know, and, and in a lot of cities, like in New York as well, right? You've got old established neighborhoods. The houses are very close. You know, you might have a single, maybe a double lane road. If people start parking on it, there's like one lane of traffic that can go down. You've got sort of, you know, sidewalks on the sides and like, there's nothing you can do with that. You can't, you know, you can't put a bus lane in there because if you tried to do something like that, you'd have to tear the houses down and that's yeah, you not could absolutely. Happen, so. You could absolutely, there's plenty of space. And if you redesignate a street from a car street to a bus street, then, um, Suddenly, you not only have space in the middle of the street for the bus, but you can either build wider sidewalks where the parking exists currently, uh, or you can put in protected bike lanes on both sides. I love this. This, is this has turned into a transport conversation. I'll yeah, I'm going to bring it <laughs> back. To, I'm bringing it back to AI, guys. Listen to me, my brothers. So, you know, I love it. I love, I, I, well, I love is, the act of travel. But so AI, yeah. I've got a question for you. So if we're going to keep to, you know, all being champions of active travel, how can AI or the use of AI tools um, facilitate and promote that? And it's a two-part question, Zach. The second part is, um, because I'm always like the voice of doom. I'm not the voice of doom. Like, I love AI. I think technology is amazing. But I'm also a little scared at how fast things are going. So I'm curious to know as well what your thoughts are on job displacement. And what that looks like, maybe maybe in this particular kind of subject area. So if we're talking about uh, planners, like what's the future for people in urban planning? You know, is is AI going to displace them? Is it going to partially displace them? Is it going to be a hybrid model? What what do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me answer the easier question first, which is your question about like visualized like um, boy, like how 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 AI can help people visualize better streets, basically. Yeah. And that's that's actually very, very much pertinent to what we were we were just discussing. Like, one of the one of the things that really uh, heavily influenced um, and continues to influence the way I like make these images is my time in Amsterdam and seeing firsthand what a really good street design looks like and and what can truly be done if the political will exists to make like uh, dr dramatic uh, radical transformation. You know, like. If they like, there was a street in in uh, uh, Van, Van Woostraat or Van Valstraat or whatever in Amsterdam, where it's like it looks like any street in in New York or in any city. You know, it's like two lanes of traffic, two parked cars, lanes of parked cars on either side, and um, a girl was like killed riding her bike, like a twelve year old girl. And cities in the U.S. would do absolutely nothing, maybe a vigil, and that's it. Um, but they banned cars from the street, so it's going to be car free in like two years. With these images, I just wanted to show people like what would not just like the like 
milk toast, like incrementalist next step of the street look like, you know, squeezing in a little protected bike lane. But like, what's like the platonic ideal of this street? What would it look like if you really did the best thing possible for the street? And, you know, it was in this like carbon neutral city where cars are like not required and, and not catered to on every single block. Yeah, I think that that sort of aspirate that's that's the that's the the benefit of the images is just like this aspirational like what could it really look like if you really did a good job and it ignored all political considerations for a second. But yeah, and I guess that sort of like that sort of ties into the question of like what will urban planners roles be role be because right now urban planners are very much beholden to political desires, right? Like that's a huge barrier to doing what a lot of them probably really want to do. And so if they can use tools like this or if the public has access to tools like this to see, you know, what their streets could look like, what their cities could could look like, and if the, the if the elected officials can see that as well, I think it'll really make radical change a lot easier. And I don't know, like if yeah, it's really hard to say whether their jobs will just become, you know, like photographers now where it's like, yeah, I really, I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think it's going to end us all. It's a good question. What do I think about AI? I think, I, I think AI across the board, I think there's no part of life it's, it's uh, not going to touch. You know, and I, and what I think is really wild right now is that you know, whenever I thought about the future of automation or artificial intelligence and machine learning, or you know, just automation, I really thought it was going to replace low-level jobs. You know, like I didn't think uh, it was coming for the smart people this fast, and it's 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 quite scary. It's thrilling and scary at the same time because it's hard to imagine. The change that we're going to go through as a society is the result of using these tools that are evolving so quickly at the speed of light. Um, and so I don't think anybody can say with any certainty what jobs are going to look like, what jobs are going to fall away, what are going to become hybrid, who's going to be, you know, and who's going to be kind of the king of the castle, because you can, you just can't know with this, can you? So I'm, I don't say AI is bad. Although I, don't, you, yeah. I don't say it's good. I say it's like, you know, I'm also old enough that I, you know, listen, I had a childhood with no internet, no phones, you know, so, and I think this is, this is bigger, you know, and, and so it's with some trepidation, which I think is a healthy thing, but it's with excitement at the same time. But yeah, I think it's going to take out a lot of jobs. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree, actually. I, I think, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's reasonable to just make the most, like, just for, as a thought experiment, just to make the most bold assumption or prediction rather, you know, you could say maybe like every city will have like just one person in charge of urban planning and they're basically just the person in charge of using or managing the the AI. That, but the, the AI is coming up with the entire uh, transportation plan and the street cross sections and there's even AI robots like building the streets. Yeah, I'm with um, you, brother. I'm with you. That's what I see. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not like, you know, not next, not next week, but I don't think we're talking about like, I think that the evolution of this will be so, it, because it is already so fast, right? That I don't think it's going to be like, 
you know, like dial up internet, like where where we where we were then compared to now. I think it's just going to be much, much faster than that. And I don't think that's uh I don't think what you've just described is an unrealistic predict prediction at all. So I just wonder what we're all gonna yeah, do. Yeah. That's like that's my thing. What are we gonna do? Well, I can I can give you an example of of one way that AI is already being used um here in the UK. So there's a company that that builds an AI tool or has built a, a custom AI tool that essentially plans maintenance works. But what it does specifically is it it can predict when the road crews are able to go out to start work on the road. And their prediction is is, you know, they can predict several hours ahead with plus 95% accuracy to what the traffic level is going to be on any section of road by observing what the current traffic is now. So they take real-time data and they say, okay, it's seven o'clock tonight. This is what the traffic volume is going to be like because the roadworks can't start until the traffic is below a certain level. And what happens the minute is the road crews will go out and it'll be too busy. So they'll just end up sitting in a truck on the side of the road for maybe two or three hours sometimes while they're waiting for the traffic to go down. And so they're just wasting time. They're just sitting there doing nothing. Or conversely, they could have gone out two or three hours earlier, but they only went out because they're like, well, traffic doesn't die down until about nine o'clock, so we won't go any earlier. But actually on this day, they could have gone at six. And that might mean that they could actually do all of the work that they need to do in one night instead of having to come back another night. Yeah, it's like DoorDash uh, automated scheduling kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And But but it uses real-time data to, to predict and say, okay, later tonight, those guys can go out at six o'clock. They can start work early, which means they only have to disrupt traffic for one night. And it means that it's a lot cheaper because you don't have to pay the road crew twice. And it's less disruption for the people on the road. And that's saving tens of millions of pounds of cost every year already. And so I think that's where it starts. But the thing is, is that it doesn't take a great deal of imagination because the way it works at the minute is, is that's just a tool that the planning team uses to then figure out whether the road crews can go. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to think, well, three years from now, there won't be a person running that planning because they won't need to. The AI will do all of it. So it can message the road crews, it can interact with all of the teams, it can do all of the stuff that that person used to do. And and I think this is, you know, Didi and I feel very similarly about this. I think that's where we're concerned is it's like what happens to all those people that were doing those types of jobs. And this this is this can be across everything. It'll be across rail, it'll be across airlines, airports. What did, what did the people everything. who were like uh shoe shiners and like hat smiths or hat makers and uh horseless carriage or horse horse drawn carriage operators what did they all end up doing well they ended up doing other stuff well, but i'll t but i'll tell you something you know it th that change was a lot more gradual this change is going to be so rapid that it's like it, that it is it, it can't not displace people so it's like hat makers good example you know i've got a fashion background so you know i can tell you that you know there are still hat makers you know in the world today so it wasn't like everybody stopped buying hats it was it was like a real gradual decline where this is when this gains speed and we're seeing it starting to gain speed it's just going to go like this so it's going to be like there's just going to be no hats Zach. you know like i mean like 
fast. I guess you know. I guess all yeah. you can do is like just buy a bunch of rice and beans. Yeah, and that's true. Stock up. <laughs> yeah, pasta. I, like- I think. Yeah, and I I think just to to continue on that, and and this is something that Didi said before is. You know, the difference is, is, I think, during the Industrial Revolution and that sort of thing. So when that came in, a lot of the hat makers and stuff and the, the, the horse and carriage drivers, you know, they just became car drivers. And or, you know, they went into jobs where maybe they went into more of a white collar kind of job with the Industrial Revolution. You know, people moved off the factory floor. The machines meant that there were more managers there were more people managing the process. So they went into desk jobs and office jobs and stuff like that. And I think every single revolution that we've had so far has been around those Mm -hmm. physical labor jobs. So even the, the introduction of robotics and all that sort of stuff into the manufacturing process of automobiles, like a lot of those factory workers don't work anymore. No one talks about them because it's not a popular topic to talk about politically. The guys who used to work in the oil fields and all that sort of stuff, now that sort of green energy is coming in and oil's not done anymore, there's huge plans to try and retrain those people, but they're out of work at the minute. They literally aren't working because there's they, they don't have the skills to do anything else. Hmm. But eventually over time, like Didi said, you know, over a long period of time, you know, new people who would have gone into those jobs who used to be miners, for example, like the miners' kids would have just been miners. But because those jobs didn't exist, then maybe they went to school and maybe they then became some a knowledge worker. So they were they were doing like what we call a white collar job. The problem with this is, is that this is coming for the white collar jobs and there's nowhere to go. And that's I think that's what's different yeah. about this situation than we've seen in the past. And so there, you know, there there isn't at least we don't see it yet, but there's no escalation of what's that next step that everybody can go to mm-hmm. and it may be eventually in a hundred years there it might look different but it's going to be a rough hundred years in between i think yeah yeah no yeah for sure i mean i see what you mean like mass unemployment and ideally everybody eventually- feeling really positive no but huh? it's like you know but you've got to talk about this stuff because it's like it is the it is the deepest darkest fears of, ev- of everybody and there's there's no question that AI will make people's lives immeasurably better in aspects, you know, but it's like, there's like, and the thing is like the genie's out of the bottle now. So it it doesn't matter whether, you know, it doesn't matter whether we think it's good or whether we think it's bad or whether there's, you know, there's going to be positives and negatives. It just, you know, it's not the AI that I don't trust, you know, it's the humans. It's the humans, you know, because yeah. how, how are we going to be and how yeah. is the fabric of our society going to change? You know, so that doesn't mean to say that I think we should shove the genie back in the bottle because you can't do that. But it's just like with the Internet, we could not have imagined where the Internet was going to going to go and what and what the bad aspects of the Internet have been, because there have been many. Right. So which doesn't mean to say that, I, you know, I think that we shouldn't have it, you know, but it's like I think that. Yeah. The speed at which we're going, there we, we do need to pause and and reflect and think about what's what's next because there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences. Huh? Yeah, for sure. Zach, so what cities um, have you done up until now, and then what cities can we look forward to coming in the future? I think I've done most major cities. Have you done Toronto? Have you done Toronto, Zach? Yeah, yeah. 
the Gardner Expressway, replace that with the light rail and a park. Yeah, King and King or Qu- King and Queen Street. Um, yeah, done done most uh, most uh, yeah U.S. Uh, North American and North American cities and a lot of cities in Europe. Um, some European ones, some of the European ones might be more difficult. Like I always go to Barcelona. When I think of a really good sort of street design, Barcelona is amazing. They've done a really, really good job. You know, they've got a lot of really wide areas, but they have, you know, areas off to the side. There's loads of sort of active travel, people cycle, everything. There's plenty of room for everybody to sort of get along. And, you know, and they have a lot of sort of trees. So they've kept as many trees as possible. So you've got a lot of, you know, in the summertime, there's a lot of shade. You know, it's it's one of my sort of favorite cities to go, even from a transport perspective. You got to do Oxford now, though. You oh, have Oxford, to, yeah. have to pick a couple of streets enough. in Oxford and, and you have to do something like Sure. Sure, yeah. Sure. Brilliant. Is there anything else, um, Zach, that you might wanna you might want to promote? Tell everybody what your Twitter handle is so that they can go and see some of the images and follow you over there. Yeah, it's twitter.com slash better streets AI. Okay, excellent. Well, I think that's um that's winding up the time. So uh thank you very much. I feel like we were just about to hit upon some uh, crucial insight. Deep, um, dark. <laughs> well, we could keep going if you want. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm the- just, I'm, I'm just messing around. Um, <laughs> no, it is. It's, it, it's very hard to predict this stuff. So, but so we might all, that, so we might all yeah. be out of jobs, Zach. But you know, um, what will we do with our free time? That could be the thing. You know. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity to uh, to do what you love to do, um, yeah. assuming that you can also, yeah, you get your basic income check, your UBI check. Um, UBI is so take well, Here's a controversial statement. I think eventually we're going to get to the point that there isn't going to be any money at all because there isn't going to be a need for it. Oh, yeah, post money. But Like no money? <laughs> um, Not even digital just, money? Like, 3D printing. You're like just, no money. Yeah, there won't be any money but, you're just because 3D it'll be pointless. Stuff. So, but what would a world without money how look like? How do you get like? food? Like how how are you how are you going to eat? Yeah, what, what's gonna... like the process? What's the process of getting food in like a post money world? You can still get food, but you just nobody has to pay for anything. You don't pay for the transport of it. You don't pay for the seeds of it. You don't like if nobody pays for anything, then you can can you could literally do everything that we do at the minute if there was no money because everybody could just keep doing it. But you'd have no stress over paying for anything. If no person at any point during the process charged anything for anything, then you could just you could continue to do everything as we do it. But would yeah, people still do stuff? If would machines they, are doing everything. Would people still do stuff though? Like stuff. But I th- I think they would. Yeah. But 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 if you follow the logic of, of what we've been talking about, if you remove sort of eighty percent of the stuff that people do anyway. There's going to be a whole lot of people that need to do stuff. And so, you know, farming and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there's an there's an incentive there, but farmers don't make any money at the minute. So literally they make no money. So why do they do it? Because it's what they do. You know, I think if their life was actually easier, they would do it because they enjoy growing stuff and they want to feed people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's a... I told you it's slightly controversial, but no um, money. When do you I think? When do you think there's going to be no money? Like when? 
Call it. Call it. <laughs> no idea. Like no, really. When do you Call when it. do you think there'll be no money? Hundred years. I'm gonna be alive years. in a hundred years. What do I care if there's no money in a hundred years? I'm checking out. We're not then. gonna see it. <laughs> Our kids might see it. Our kids might see it. Mm. I've got a. I've got. I've got twenty nine year old daughters, and I have a fifteen year old son. And I reckon my son would have potential of seeing it. No money. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. But if everybody's out of work, you, and you talk about UBI, well, UBI, you can't fund UBI if there's no tax money coming in from people not working. So where does the money where where does the money for the UBI come from? Well, you can't. You, yeah, you just, just get in like, this situation where you're now just making up money for the hell of it. Yeah, it's which is kind of what money that, already you is. You may as well just not have any. Yeah, that is what money already is, Zach. That's right. There is so, no money anyway. Exactly. It's not real. I know. But it but do you know what I mean though? But if no, yeah, you know, it's if, it's always if, like if, we if, all look at it and we all say, Well, all the governments owe each other, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Spain owes Germany and Germany owes Spain. So the first thing you've got to do is just cancel out both of that debt either way. And then you go, okay, what are we left with? And you've probably canceled out 10 billion, you know, sort of euros or whatever that those countries owe. And if you start doing that with all the countries that owe each other, then you get to a point where actually the debt's probably manageable, first of all. And second of all, it's like, again, because it's just, it's all just numbers on a spreadsheet. It doesn't actually exist. None of this money actually exists. And there's more debt in the world than there's physical money to pay for it anyway. So it's like, it's all pointless. So that's what I mean though, is at some point, I think every everybody, it, or just we're all just going to look around and go, what's the point of this? Like, why are we getting a, a, a basic income that comes in? Why don't we just stop having to pay for stuff? It would be a lot better. And so, but why, why have you, picked a hundred years. I'm curious because like, if you think, if this is- Because you made me pick a okay, date. Okay, but like, look, if this is happening so fast, right? What, why a hundred years? Why not 10 years? There's not, there's certainly not an appetite enough in the people that are alive now to do something like that. I think the people that are alive now still are so entrenched in the concept of money and everything else, I think it'll take a couple of generations to actually get to that point. Yeah, but it could where, be just one generation. Yeah, I think it might take two. But to get to the point where literally they're they're just going to look around and they're just going to go, well, what's, what's the point of this? It's just like, you know, everybody now is like, what's the point of going to work? Like, why do I go to an office? And 10 years ago, no one would have ever thought that. They'd be like, no, you go to work. You've got to go to work. You've got to go to an office. Now no one goes to an office. Like yeah, you can't even get people to come in, even if you want them to. People are surprisingly so, flexible. Mm. Yeah. But that was COVID. COVID did that. So what's what's going to be the crisis that'll make money disappear? Because I don't think I don't think that yeah, but but because I don't think it's just as simple as, oh, people will people will, you know kind of in a couple of generations realize what's the point in this. You have a lot more faith in humanity than me, David. I think that people do not change their behavior, you know, because of thinking what's the point. It's like it takes a crisis to make people change, you know? Like COVID was well, COVID was awful, but COVID was amazing for technology and healthcare and amazing for remote working. Yeah. And the literally light speed transformation of things that culturally people would not do in healthcare or in social care. So it takes some kind of big crisis to like crash money. It does, huh? 
I don't think it'll be like, oh, yep. it's not a really good idea. It People, will. It, yeah, I don't know. But at the minute, we can sort of support a certain number of people through, you know, whether it's unemployment payments or, you know, social programs or whatever. But if if we go down the track that we think we're going to go down and in 10 years or 15 years, you're going to have like 60% of the creative or 70% of the creative industry isn't going to be working because there aren't any jobs for them. That's a whole different kettle of fish. Like... If you need to pay for, you know, a few people, that's one thing because everybody else is working. When no one's working, there's no money coming in and there's no money to pay for it. So at that point, at that you have point, to start going, you know what well, happens? There isn't money. You know what happens at that point? Well, yeah. You, Viva la revolution. Yeah. Sorry? Viva la revolution. That's what happens at that point. Exactly. But there's still no money even after the, re- like, Okay, fine. You know, you get a big revolution and maybe 50% of people kill each other. Okay, so you've got fewer people to pay for. But st- like, I just don't, in my own mind, and maybe, you know, my logic is totally off and that's fine. I've, I've been wrong about loads of stuff. But it just, it's almost like the thought experiment. For me, that's where that ultimately goes. Because you're going to get, we're going to get to a point in society where most of the jobs are gone and it, and in a in a situation where most of the the knowledge jobs are gone, which okay, you still need at the minute and for the foreseeable future, stuff like robotics isn't going to be able to replace an electrician or a plumber or somebody who needs to work with their hands. Like robots can't even fold a sheet. No, David, they literally can't David, fold a you're sheet. Wrong. And they won't be able to fold a sheet for probably ten years. No. So sooner, maybe. But but that's sort of the litmus test. It's a very complicated thing. So doing things like those types of jobs will still be around. So kids coming. I mean, I'm telling my son, I'm like, look, if I were you, I would train as an electrician because that's the only kind of job that's really going to have any job security moving forward. And people, you know, we're still as a society, I think a lot of people still kind of look down on the trades. You know, there's this whole concept that you need to go to university and then you need to make lots of money and you want to work in an office because it's, you know, it's not a hard job and that sort of thing. Whereas the people I know who are electricians are making six figure income. They've literally got more business than they know what to do with. They, they, like they could work 80 hours a week, every week if they wanted to, because no one wants to do those jobs. So, you know, now might be the time to get into those areas and you know maybe now's not the best time to be a data analyst or to be training to be a data analyst because those data analysis jobs are going to be taken by ai mm. for sure 100% agreed right and it it feels really like negative and dystopian and i don't and Didi, I, I you know we talk all the time and i i don't think either one of us want it to be dystopian and that's why we're having these conversations yeah. because we we want to bring up the topic and we want people to think about it seriously and to really kind of take it seriously and to go right okay well what are we actually going to do about this and you know how do we prepare ourselves for what comes next i think that's the question yeah. you know what what can we do as as individuals use the tools and, and in and society mm. you know it's the whole you know think think global act local so you've got to think about what's the 
what's the situation going to be? And then how can I have an impact on that but, with my family and friends and my my individual network and myself? And I think that's where we, that's that's why we're having these conversations. Is that, do you agree, Didi? Is that a good way to sum it up? I do. Yeah. And I like what, what you just said, Zach, use the tools. Like, what do we do? You got to use the tools. You know, it's like- Don't be afraid to use the tools, rather. Yeah. 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 Because- there's going to be an art to using those tools. And I think that the people that are going to survive are going to be the people that are going to interface with AI well. Yeah. And who are going to learn. They're, those are going to be the survivors. Yeah. And the people who, you know, I feel sorry for the people who have no idea and aren't interested in just literally this is going to blindside them and they have no idea what's coming. Not us. Well, they'll get some, they'll have some great video games to play. <laughs> they will. That's true. And, created and cool created by on. AI, probably, you know, even better video games than we've ever had. Well, on mm. that note, <laughs> it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much, Zaka. Um, and yeah, yeah likewise. That was really cool. Thanks. Yeah, and, thanks for having me. And give our best to the Big Apple. Once a New Yorker, yeah, yeah. always a New Yorker. Yeah, will do. <laughs> exactly. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn, but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our two main platforms and it really helps other listeners find the show and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure. So it'd be amazing if you could help us with that. If you've got any questions, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, feel free to send us an email. The best email is hello at creativeswith.ai or you can shoot us a message on social media. Either one is fine. We love hearing from all of you and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that. Let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Feature Hand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us and we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.